Um, if you have a Bible, Matthew 22 is where we're going to start. Um, let me start out by saying this. Happy Valentine's Day, also known as Single Awareness Day, right? Like, that's it. You look at Facebook this morning, and everybody's got all this stuff, and you're like, ah. Uh. Anyway, um, I, had, I had this particular message for today uh, prepared for a different time. Um, but this past Tuesday, I did realize that today actually is Valentine's Day, so I figured this would fit. Now listen, this is not a marriage message, all right? I got to say that up front because um, I say Valentine's Day and people are like, oh my gosh, she's going to preach on marriage. Uh, I'm not. That, this not a marriage message. Um, we are in week number two of a series called From Wounds to Wins, and this series is all about dealing with some past hurts and present pains um, that m- many of us might be dealing with or having a hard time overcoming. Um, last week, I told you kind of the theme throughout the series um, is, is this idea that healing is a process. Um, and we talked about Ezekiel, and we talked about the Valley of Dry Bones, and we talked about um, the process of, coming, um, of all of that coming back together. And I told you that the big thing that we have to do when we're going through a hard time, when we're going through difficult times, when we're having difficulty getting over things is, is trusting God in the process and being thankful um, that we're in the process. But healing is a process. Let me set today up like this. Um, for, for me, and, and I don't know if anybody else is like this. I'm sure maybe somebody has something like this. Um, I've got some memories of some conversations that I have had um, 20, 30 years ago that were important, but they weren't really life-changing. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like they weren't like life-changing moments where I made a decision to do something and that decision changed everything about the outcome of my life. They're just like strange conversations and for some dumb reason I remember them and I have no idea why. But at certain times they pop into my mind and I can feel like they just happened yesterday. Anybody like that? You got those, those conversations? All right, so for me, one of them that popped into my mind the other day, I can remember I was in like sixth or seventh grade. And I had a crush on a girl. Now, she was weird. That's not important to the story, um, but she was. And so I was having a conversation about her with an adult relative, and I was talking to him about the situation and what was going on and my feelings for her and all of these things. And and I'll never forget saying this. I said, I wish there was a way that I could know what people thought about me. He said, no, you don't. I'm like, no, I, I do. Like, I wish I could read people's minds. I wish there was a way that I could know exactly what people were thinking about me all the time. And he said, Ryan, trust me, you don't. You're weird. That's what he said to me here, right? And he's like, and, and, and you don't want people to tell you that. You don't really want to know what people think about you. And I was like, no, I do. I want to know if people like me or if people don't like me, and I, I want to know that. And he said, he said, listen, the people that love you today, one day, those seem those same people will hate you, and, and you don't want that. Now, not everyone is going to be a friend to you, Ryan. You, you, don't, you, you, you got to understand that not everyone is going to like you, and you don't want to know what people think about you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, well, you know, today with social media, we couldn't, no, no, no. This was the 80s. Our technological breakthrough was the Atari, all right? Like, like that's what we had. Everybody remember that? Then later on, we had Nintendo, then we had Super Nintendo, and then we had to figure out like, how, to, how to fix our Super Nintendo games. Remember, you had to take it out. What did you do? How'd you, how'd you fix your Super Nintendo game? <laughs> Who came up with that? And then how did we know? 
We didn't have YouTube videos, to t- but, but all of us know how to do that, right? Like, like we used to exist without social media. But in the 90s, this thing came out called email. And email was a way that you could communicate with somebody instantly, right? Like in an instant, you could let somebody know what you thought about them. When email came out, communication got a lot more direct and a lot more intense, yes or no? Yes, because you might not believe this, but there was a time when you opened every single email that you got and you read every single line of every single email that you opened. Remember that? Because before that, what you had to do is you had to get a pen and a paper and you had to write a what? A letter, right? And if you were mad at somebody, like you could go off. You could be super emotional, you could yell, and you could scream, and you could write in all caps and underline and star and do all of these different things. And by the time you got to the end of the letter, you felt a little bit better about yourself, and so you could throw the letter away. But when email came out, you could type it up and immediately send it, and it was out there forever. Just curious, how many of you would love to be able to go back and unsend at least one email that you've sent in your lifetime? How many? (laughs) Just about everybody, right? So... After email came MySpace, where everybody told everybody what they thought, and then came Twitter. I, I didn't even know what that was. Somebody came up to me one day, hey, have you seen my Twitter? No, freak, I haven't. Like, get, get, like I, didn't, I didn't know. Um, after that was Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Snapface and all those other things. And you know what? Today, because of social media, you can know exactly what people think about you. You can say anything about anybody at any time. In some ways, that's good, right? I mean, there's, there's some good to it. Some people say um, social media has changed us. The other day, my daughter was um, in a class. I think it's her speech class. And this was Zoom, and so I was kind of listening in, and they were saying all this stuff. And the, and the teacher talked about how social media has been this great big thing, and social media has changed us. I, I, I told her, I said, type in there into your class. Social media has not changed us. It's exposed us. Like, like, that's what social media has done, because that's who we've been the entire time, right? Now, I know you're thinking, where are you going with this, Ryan? Well, well somebody came up to Jesus one time, um, because they wanted to know what he thought. And, and, and they said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And that was, that was really a loaded question, because there were 613 commandments. And, and, and they expected Jesus to go through 613, and, and they're like, hey, these 613 are from God, and, and we know you can narrow it down to maybe 10, but out of those 10, what's the most important? Like, like I want to know, Jesus, what's, what's the most important one? Because if I can only follow one, I want to know what's the one I have to follow. But also they were trying to trick him into saying, hey, this one's more important than all the others. And so they were going through all of this. And so Jesus... Because he can't be, like, put into a box. He didn't just pick one. He picked two. And so Matthew 22, verse 37, says this. The most important one is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he said this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when he said that, that was a difficult thing for them to hear. And and here's where I'm going with this. I think that's a difficult thing for us to hear as well. Now, the reason why that's difficult for many of us is because, and and I'll just be very honest, very transparent, a lot of us in this room really do have a hard time loving God. And, and, And I get it, but let's be honest. The reason you have a hard time loving God is because of what people have said to you who claim to be speaking on his behalf, right? You've been called something, 
You've been put down, you've been tagged, you've been labeled, you've been cast out. In other words, you've been hurt. You've been wounded. And it's really hard to connect with God when you think God is mad at you, right? Here, here's the other thing. And, and listen, I get this one too. But, but a lot of us have a hard time with the fact that Jesus said not only love God, but he said love other people. And the reason it's so hard to, to love other people and to have that concept, he said love other people as you, as you love yourself, is because so many times it's difficult for us to love ourselves, right? And the reason why it's hard for us to love ourselves is because at the end of the day, we know what we've done. We know what we think about doing. We know what we would do if we could get away with it, right? And, and so because it's so hard for us to, to love ourselves sometimes, it's difficult for us to love other people. And so how do you get past all that? How do we get past the I'm having a hard time connecting with God? I'm, I'm having a hard time connecting with people because of the hurt I feel, because of the wounds that I have. Well, I'm glad you asked because that's where we're going to go today. For the rest of this message, um, we're going to look at a bunch of Bible verses. You can follow along in the Bible, you can follow along on screen, you can follow along um, in your outline if you have those. Um, let me say this before we dive in though. There are some really popular verses in the Bible. There are some really, 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 really popular verses in the Bible. John 3.16, super popular verse. Um, John 10.10, popular verse. Um, John, 1 John 4.4, 4, popular verse. Um, Proverbs 17.17 17 is a popular verse. Now, I know you'll meet some people and they'll tell you all verses in the Bible are popular. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago that all of the Bible is inspired, but not all the Bible is relevant? I got a couple emails about that statement. Like I knew I would. It's cool. Um, it says some questionable things, but, but it's all right. I'm going to stand by that statement. All of the Bible equally inspired. Not all the Bible is equally relevant. Do you know there's a verse in the Bible that says don't have sex with animals? Oh, God, why would you have to put that in there? You ever seen that on a Christian t-shirt? You ever seen that? In, you ever seen that? I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do not have sex. Like what, what, why is that not on a t-shirt? It's in the Bible, so can we agree, all right? Can we agree and, and stop with the emails and everything that not all Scripture is as popular as some other verses, right? They're, they're not, it's not all the same. Anyway, one of the most popular um, is John 17, or yeah, Proverbs 17, 17, um, that says this. It says, a friend loves at all times. A friend. A friend loves at all times. Now, where the Bible says friend, friend here, I'm going to translate, translate that into what I'm going to call a three-in-the-morning friend. You know what that is? A three-in-the-morning friend is someone who at three in the morning you can call that person and they will talk to you, they will listen to you, they will come bail you out, like, like what, whatever, right? That's a three-in-the-morning friend. All of us should have that type of friend or those kind of friends in our lives, and all of us should strive to be that type of friend to others. Because the Bible says a friend loves when? All the time, right? All the time. Not sometimes, not when it's convenient, not just when I, I feel like it. A friend loves at all times. Isn't it nice to have people in your life that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you say, no matter how stupid it is, they're going to love you. Isn't that incredible to have? A friend loves at all times. Not sometimes, not when you're doing good, not when you're doing the right thing. Again, not when it's only convenient for them. A friend, this is huge, a friend loves at all times. Now, 
Proverbs 17, 17, back in the day of Jesus, was super popular. Hebrew kids um, would have memorized a scripture, and, and most of them would have memorized and known all of the Proverbs. And Proverbs 17, 17 was like a hit song. It's, it's kind of like, like if you're my age, if you're riding down the road and kickstart my heart comes on the radio. Within like seconds, you're jamming out, right? And, and, and you look down and you're driving 90, hypothetically. Just saying, maybe, maybe that's for somebody. Um, back then, they, they could say certain things and there were certain phrases that they could say and, and, and the people would just finish the sentence. You, you know what I'm talking about. Like, well, like we could talk about songs and, and, and I could sing part of a song and then you could, you could finish the song, right? Like, we built this city on... There you go. You got it, right? That, that, that's kind of it. Like, you got to fight for your right to... See, you know these things, right? That's what happened back then. Somebody back then could have went, a friend! And somebody else would have went, loves at all times! Like, like, seriously, like they knew this. This was so common. And so think about this. Jesus started his ministry at age 30, and he called some guys to follow him. Um, they're called the disciples. Now, if you really examine these guys, if you really look into the lives of these guys, these guys were like, Kind of like what we talked about at Christmas. Christmas, They were like the Island of Misfit Toys of Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, these guys were not religious scholars. These guys were not experts of the law. These were not the guys that you would pick if you were picking a group of people to change the world. These were a bunch of jacked up guys who had a bunch of jacked up issues. Like if we could sit down with Jesus, we'd be like, dude, why them? Like, why did you pick these? Like, there's so many other people that you could have picked. There are more qualified people. There are people that fit better on the bus. Like, there are just people that you could have done way better with by picking. But for three years, don't miss this, for three years, Jesus did life with these guys. He wasn't on staff with them. It didn't, like, happen where he was, like, he'd come in at, like, 9 in the morning and, and leave at 5. I mean, they did life together. They walked together. They talked together. They lived together. They had real-life experiences together. They watched Jesus perform miracles. They saw him walk on water. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him actually heal people. They watched him raise people from the dead. I mean, it was the most amazing time of their lives. They get to this thing called the Last Supper. Well, they didn't call it the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper. Um, they didn't call that because they didn't know. I mean, none of them got up and were like, hey, guys, I just want to let you know this is going to be his last supper. Um, if somebody stands up at dinner tonight and says that, we're going to be like, oh, shoot, what's, what's about to happen, right? Like, they didn't call it that. Um, we also call it the Lord's Supper. They didn't call it that either. They called it Passover. Passover was something that they celebrated every year. In fact, um, the, the Jewish people still celebrate Passover. They celebrate it in Israel even, even to, this, to this day. Um, it's a celebration of remembering God setting Israel free from the land of Egypt. So at this particular Passover meal, they're sitting around a table. And they're having a conversation with Jesus. And John, one of the disciples who was there, writes down this phrase at the Passover meal. And, and listen, I've read the Gospels for years. And I, and I didn't see this or this didn't really click with me until just recently. Check this out. Um, John 15, verse 15 says this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, hold on a second. Proverbs 17, 17 says a friend loves at all times. 
and we get to John 15, verse 15, and Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. So right here, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, guys, here's what you need to know. I am always going to love you. No matter what, I am going to love you. Always and forever, no matter what, I am always going to love you. Now, that's a remarkable statement considering that during the same conversation, he also told them, hey, guys, tonight, I'm going to get arrested and killed. When I get arrested, all of you are going to deny me, and all of you are going to run away. And when he said that, all of them did what every one of us would have done. No way, man. Uh Uh-uh. Not me, Jesus. Uh Uh-uh, man. I'm committed to you. I am all in. Doesn't matter what. I'm always going to stand with you. You're my boy. Because think about this. Think about this. At the table, eating food with Jesus, it's easy to be committed, right? But later that night, when people show up with swords and spears and clubs, you're like, peace out, man, I'm, I'm, I'm gone, right? That's what they did. So Jesus tells them, hey, I'm always going to love you. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. I am going to love you always and forever, no matter what, even though I know that you're going to deny me. Sure enough, soon after this, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they're there, Jesus begins to pray And while Jesus was praying, people show up to arrest Jesus. And Matthew, who was also there at the table, who also heard, hey, I call you friend, who also probably said, hey, Jesus, man, I'm with you. I'm committed. I'm going to stand with you. He writes this down in Matthew 26, verse 56. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, Now, don't miss this. We've established a friend loves at all times. And Jesus says, I will always love you. And then... When they had the chance to stand with him, when they had the chance to, 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 to say, hey, I'm all the way committed to, to not just, not just walk, talk the talk, but actually walk the walk, they all abandoned him. Why would you do that? Why would somebody do that? Well, I believe that they did it for maybe some of the same reasons that some of us do it today. If you're a note taker, I've got three possibilities as to why I believe that they ran. Number one, is fear. Fear. I, I think that maybe that's the first reason that they ran. Fear. Fear caused us to do some crazy things, right? T- to this day, and, I, and I'm not making this up, P- people sometimes ask me, do you make up your stories? No. I tell truthful stories because, listen, some of this junk, like you can't even make it up. You just can't. T- to this day, some of you know this about me, if I go into a hotel or if I come to your house and go to the bathroom, before I do anything, I do what? Check the shower curtain, right? I look behind there. Anybody else with me on this? Anybody? Anybody want to be honest? I'm the only freak in this entire church. Sweet. But here's why. Here's why I do it. When I was growing up, my dad thought it was his calling in life to scare me. That, like any chance he could get, he would scare me. Like I think that's why he existed for real was just to scare me. So I never will forget ever, 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 ever. As long, This is how scarred I am for this. I was getting ready to go to the bathroom one time. Got my pants down around my ankles. And, and you know you ain't going nowhere when your pants are around your ankles, right? You're just, you're just not. I mean, you're, just, you're in it for the long haul, all right? So I sat down, and as soon as I sat down, my dad threw open the shower curtain and screamed as loud as he could. Let's just say my colon had never been so clean. Here causes us to do weird things and strange things right now i'm convinced 
sitting at the table with Jesus, eating bread, drinking a little wine. At that table, I could have said, hey, you know what, Jesus? No matter what, I'm with you. No matter what happens, dude, I am standing with you. But when the soldiers show up, the thing that's going to run through my mind is, ooh, I stay connected with Jesus, I could lose something. I I could actually lose my life. So instead of saying connected with him and possibly losing something, I'm just going to take off. I'm just going to run away because if I stay connected to him, I'm afraid of what will happen. Now, let's be honest for a second. A lot of people in this room, at some point, maybe you have ran from God. Maybe you have turned away from God. And the reason why is because you're afraid of what will happen if you stay connected with Jesus. I mean, we've thought, right? We, we, we've thought. In order to be connected with Jesus, that, that means I might have to change something, right? In, in order to be connected to Jesus, I, I might have to change my relationship status. In order to be connected to Jesus, I might have to change a habit. In order to stay connected to Jesus, I might have to change the direction of my life. And that's scary, isn't it? In order to stay connected to Jesus, I might have to change something. Listen, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. I get it. Like, I understand the fear involved. But here's what you've got to understand. If I told you today that when you leave here, when you step out in the foyer, there's going to be a man who's going to meet you there. And in his hand is a sharp object. And he's going to be coming after you with a specific intention. If I told you that, you might not walk out that door. You might go out this door, right? Your guard might be up a little bit. But if I told you that that man was a surgeon, And if I told you the object in his hand was a scalpel and the intention was for him to remove a cancerous tumor from your body, you would be more open to that, right? Listen, if Jesus wants to take anything out of you, it's because he wants to put something better in your life. God is a giver. God is not a taker. God wants to bless you. God does not want to curse you. God wants to heal you. God does not want to hurt you. I understand. I understand what it's like to be scared. I understand the thought of if I stay connected to Jesus in this season, I might have to lose something. If I stay connected to Jesus, I might lose some friends. When in reality, it's not that you have something to lose, but it's that you have everything to gain. But fear is a legitimate reason. The second reason that people run from Jesus, and one of the reasons I think the disciples ran, is inconvenience. (laughs) We live in the most convenient society the world has ever known. And, and we want to make things convenient for each other. We just put hand sanitizer stations around the entire church because everybody is getting tired of pushing down on the thing. Because it gets clogged up, and I get it, and it squirts all over you, and nobody likes that, and we don't check for all of that. And so all you have to do is put your hand underneath there, and it comes out, and it's, it's great. Awesome, right? Convenient. I love convenience. The other day, I was backing out of my driveway. It was early in the morning. Chloe and I were leaving for open gym, pitching and catching. And, and, and I was going out, and my backup, by the way, thank God for backup cameras. Anybody else? Anybody with me on this? So I was backing up, and there was a car coming that I didn't see. So my truck screamed at me, and it also slams on the brakes. That's what my, I, don't, I don't really like that, um, but this particular day, it slammed on the brakes and prevented a wreck. And I looked, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and, and the person that was coming, um, their car was screaming at me, too. And I looked, and they were waving at me and telling me that I was number one. And I thought, man, it's so good to be encouraged this early in the morning. I love this. 
<laughs> and so I looked at Chloe and I was like, oh my gosh, man, that was, that was awful. I'm like, what do we do before backup cameras and sensors? And she said, we probably just look behind us, Dad. And I'm like, <laughs> so I kicked her out and made her walk the rest of the way. <laughs> but convenience, right? I love convenience. And I know you love convenience. There's nothing wrong with convenience. For the disciples, though, there were times when it was simply convenient to follow Jesus. For example, when Jesus is feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, it's convenient to be with them then. Because while they weren't the ones who did the miracle, they were the ones who got to participate in the miracle. And at that time, they got some attention. They got a little bit of recognition. It was cool for them. It was convenient at that time to follow Jesus. It was convenient to follow Jesus when he was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey and everybody was shouting and and waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was super convenient to follow Jesus then. But when he's arrested... He's going to be murdered. Not so convenient. How does that translate today? It's real simple. It's convenient to follow Jesus on Sunday. It's not as convenient to follow Jesus when you want to swipe right on Tinder or however that thing works, whatever. It's convenient to follow Jesus on Sunday. It's not as convenient to follow Jesus on Friday or Saturday night when your friends are calling you to go out to the bar. It's easy, convenient to follow Jesus when you're in town. Maybe it's, not as, maybe it's not as easy, maybe it's way more difficult to follow Jesus when you're out of town and nobody knows who you are and nobody's going to find out. L- listen, I don't want you to feel an ounce of condemnation or judgment from me today, but, but here's what I know about every single one of us, every single one of us. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, this means you. Every single one of us at some point in our lives has chosen convenience over Jesus. Every single one of us. It happens. What's crazy is that many of us are defined and labeled by that, those moments. It's, it's super sad, but, but it's true. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But that's one of the reasons that they ran. Listen, don't miss this. If you've ever chosen convenience over Jesus, I get it. We've all done it. The disciples did it. Third, last but not least, disappointment. Understand this. The disciples were incredibly disappointed in this moment when Jesus got arrested. And here's why. The disciples thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. They thought he was going to be a governor, an emperor, a ruler, and they were going to get to be his, like, vice presidents or whatever. Like, they were going to kind of get to, to rule with him or whatever. None of them. Like, they had no idea that his plans were actually higher and greater, even though he told them over and over and over and over and over again that his plans were higher and greater than their plans. But they legit didn't get it. And so when it came down to it that Jesus actually got arrested, all of their plans fell apart. And when Jesus got arrested, they got incredibly disappointed because Jesus didn't become what they wanted him to be. Now, with all that in mind, let me ask you this question. And I want you to be honest. Don't, 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 don't be fake today. I, I, want you to, I want you to be super honest in answering this question. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you? Have you ever been disappointed in God? Be honest. It, it's okay to say yes. I, I have. 
Now, now once again, we're in church. And church people say, you know, you didn't say that. Well, it's not like he's surprised. It's not like he, he doesn't know. It's not like he's in heaven going, oh, mommy, he hurt my feelings. He, he's not up there saying that. So, some people tell me, well, you, you know, Ryan, in the book of Job, Job was, stop. If you don't think that Job was ticked off at God, you stopped reading at Job chapter 2. By the time you get to Job chapter 40, dude is going off. In fact, God shows up and is like, hey, you need to calm down. Don't, don't make me pull this van over. Like, that's, that's the moment that God and Job have. Listen, I'm just like you. I, I, I've, I've gone through some, some tough times. I've had some incredibly painful moments. I've had some I'm disappointed in you, God, moments. I, we lost a baby one time. I became angry at God. If I'm going to be incredibly honest with you, it's something I still deal with sometimes to this day. And it was like 17 years ago. A few years ago, um, a few years ago, I went through a tough marriage season. I was ticked off at God. I was mad. I was angry. I wanted to leave. I wanted to quit. I didn't want to be here anymore. I just, I just thought this was, this was stupid. And, 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 and sometimes, even today, I'll hear people say, well, one day you'll get over it. I haven't found that pill. That drink, that prayer, that verse, whatever. Sometimes it just wells up. Like I'm not saying you can't push this stuff down. I'm not saying you can't get past the moment but because God really does bring about healing. I'm just saying that there are some tough times. There are some tough things. There are some tough issues. There are some tough seasons. There are some storms that all of us are going to go through and deal with in our life. There are people right now in this room that you have literally prayed to God asking, why? Why did this happen to me? How? How could you let this happen to me? I mean, come on, God. Seriously, don't you know what I've done for you? Don't you know the things that I do? Don't you know how good I've been? Like, come on, God. Why would you let this happen to me? And, and if that's you, I want you to understand. I get it. I get it. And that's what the disciples dealt with, too. When they ran, let me tell you something. When they ran, they ran good and they ran hard. I mean, because if you're going to do something, you do it all the way, right? In fact, John tells us this in John 21, verse 1. He says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's stop and talk about that real quick because this is huge. The Sea of Galilee is in northern Israel. Jerusalem, where Jesus was killed, is in southern Israel. It took a week to get from Jerusalem to Galilee. A week. Took how long? A week. So when the disciples ran, they ran for a week. They did not just run like two blocks over and hide in another house. They ran. Like if you're going to run a week away, that's running, yes or no? Yes. They literally ran from Jesus. They, they ran from God. They're like, hey, we're done with this. We're out. And then the Bible says this. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. Stop. Don't miss this. They ran back to Galilee, which is where they were before Jesus called them. And does anybody remember, what did Peter do before he met Jesus? He was a what? He was a fisherman. So they went back to the place where they used to be before they met Jesus, and they started doing what they used to do. Is, is that anybody here? 
Anybody? We've all done that, right? Like, you know what this is like. You meet Jesus, and things go a little bit south, and then you go back to where you used to be. We go back to doing the things we used to do because, listen, it's just easy. It's just easy to go back to being the familiar. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was walking into Bordenero's for lunch. Imagine that, right? <laughs> walking into Bordenero's for lunch, and a lady stopped me on the sidewalk. I, I had no idea who she was. She doesn't come to church here. Um, but she said, hey, you're Pastor Ryan, right? And I said, uh, sometimes. Um, <laughs> she looked, like I was trying to be funny. Um, she looked at me, and great big tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, will you pray for me? And I said, absolutely. What, how, how can I pray for you? What do you want me to pray for? And she said, I'm an addict, and I've been clean for 23 months. I was like, that's awesome. Like, I'm excited for her. I'm like, man, that is so cool. And she started crying harder, and she said, it's great that you can celebrate that. But all of my family members, all of my friends still say I'm an addict. And I'm fighting the thought of, if that's who they say I am, why don't I just go back to those old ways? And I looked at her, and I said, listen, I know a little bit of something about this. And one of the things that I've discovered over the years is, you are not who they say you are. You are who Jesus says that you are. And he says that you are loved, and he says that you are forgiven, and he says you are valued, and you are chosen. He says you are special in his sight, and so don't let them define you. You let Jesus define you. Like I'm preaching right there out on the street in Borden Narrows. Small crowd had gathered, not not really, but I was on a roll. But you know what? Legit, I get it. I get why she thought, if people are going to say that about me, why don't I just stay that way if that's who people think that I am why don't I just do that I mean have you ever thought that about yourself you ever you ever thought that you've been hurt you've been wounded by the wounds of people and so the thought of if, if that's who they're going to say that I am why not just live that way that, that's real right that's what the disciples are doing and so in this next verse John says this in verse four early in the morning like they, they had fished all night because Jesus is like all right dude if you're going to run Cool. If that's what you want to do, if you want to go back where you used to be, doing what you used to do, fine. I'll be here when you get back, but, but hey, just do it. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. It's amazing to me right here how many scholars speculate as to why the disciples didn't know that this was Jesus standing on the shore. It's not that difficult for me. Be, be, because think about this. If you're running from Jesus... And you're running from Jesus that hard. The last person that you expect to see when you're running from Jesus is who? Jesus, right? This would be like you make the decision tonight that you're going to run from God. I'm going to run from God. And so you're going to go to the strip club with your friends. And you got a handful of ones. You're sitting in the corner. You're making it rain. you got a smile on your face. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, what do you hope to get out of tonight? Well, I hope to see Jesus. Dude. You've been hitting the tequila a little bit too hard, right? Like, you don't expect to see him there, right? The last person they expected to see in a place where they used to be doing what they used to do was Jesus. But don't miss this. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the shore, and I'm sure they all thought as they got closer and they recognized him, oh, crap, what is he going to say? Because think about this. At that point, he could have went off. He could have been like, I can't believe you guys. 
I can't believe you ran. I can't believe you turned your back on me. You guys suck. You guys are sorry pieces of human trash. Like he could have said all of that. Like some of us have heard that sermon before, right? Some of us are still hurt by words of people like that. But Jesus chooses his words very carefully. Standing on the shore, he asks them a question. But, but listen, it wasn't the question that is so huge. It's the first word in the question that's key. Look at this, verse 5. He called out to them. What's that word say? Friends. Friends, haven't you any fish? He knew the answer to the question. The question is not the point. The word is the point. You know why? Because he had just told them in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. In other words, he told them at the table, I will always love you, always and forever, no matter what. I will love you at the table, and I will love you when you're running. I will love you when you're near to me, and I will love you when you're running from me. I will love you when you love me, and I will love you when you can't stand me. I will always love you. Jesus, why in the world would you love us like that? It's very simple. Because a friend, a friend, a friend, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. So I don't know where you are today in your walk with God, but I know exactly where he is in his walk with you. He's right beside you. He has not changed his mind about you. In fact, the main message of this entire thing is him saying, I knew what you were going to do, and I never stopped loving you. I have loved you through your doubt. I have loved you through your fear. I have loved you through your hurt. I have loved you through your pain. I have loved you through your disappointment. I have loved you through your confusion. I have loved you through your bad decisions. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, I still love you. And so once again, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus today, but I know where he is. He's right here waiting on you to acknowledge his presence and step back into a relationship with him. Now, before we stand and pray, before we do an invitation, I thought, man, we need to, we need to sing a song and really reflect on the goodness and the love of God. How good he is, that he loves us, not based on our performance, but based on his character. And so we're going to sing, and, and, and I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to get up. I, I, want you to, I want you to stand in a second, and I want you to sing like you mean it. Then Pastor Gary is going to come up and lead us in prayer. Let me pray quick, though. God, thank you so much that you chose to call us friends. Whether we're at the table or back in the place we used to be doing the things that we used to do, God, you call us friends. When we run out of fear, when we run out of convenience, when we run because we're just flat-out disappointed in what has happened, God, you don't push us away. You draw us near. God, you are so good. So in these next few moments, as we sing about your goodness, as we sing about your love, may you remind us that for those of us who belong to you, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Message in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.